Welcome to episode four of Showing Love, a New York Knicks podcast slash personal audio diary. I am your enthusiastic host and audio selector, not Lamar95. This episode will be the long-awaited recap episode of Who Will Ball and Who Will Fall and my February win-loss predictions. Before we get to the main course, let's open with an appetizer. On this episode of What's New, York Knicks, the Knicks had to play Milwaukee, Brooklyn, and Philadelphia twice in the first six games after the All-Star break. And boy, was it a rough and humbling experience. Giannis, the Bucks, and Giannis's flopping older brother would beat the brakes off the Knicks in their first game back. The Bucks' defense was suffocating from start to finish. They pretty much threw Randall in jail that night, and when the engine of our team goes out, the rest of the team sputters to a halt. The lone bright spot of that night was watching RJ Barrett hit Chris Middleton with a sick hezzy at the top of the key to blow by him. He would then take it to the rack and finish with authority over Brooke Lopez. It was simply poetry. Speaking of RJ, he's been on an offensive tear lately. In the last 10 games he's played, he's averaging over 20 points per game, 5.7 rebounds a game, and 3.3 assists a game as of March 24th. This was highlighted by RJ dropping a career-high 32 points while going 3-for-6 from 3 against the Thunder on March 13th. RJ's masterful performance was simply a showcase of his abilities. He controls the pace of defenders with his handles, he ran the break to perfection, and he even got a foul called in his favor a couple of times. RJ has been a bright spot post-All-Star break. He's slowly growing into that 20-point-per-game scorer we know he can be, and just in time too because Randall really needs that number 2 to step up and help him as the Knicks make their playoff push. Emmanuel quickly got his first NBA starts against two of the best teams in the East, the Brooklyn Nets and the Philadelphia 76ers. The Knicks backcourt has been riddled with injuries and COVID protocols the last two weeks. It's gotten so bad that Tibbs was forced to start Frank Nittalikina, who promptly stunk up the place in his start against OKC. The Knicks would still win the game handily, but concerns of our backcourt would only grow louder with the national game against the Brooklyn Nets coming up. But something special would happen on Nick's Twitter on March 14th at exactly 8.11pm Eastern Time. Internet detective spotted a picture of IQ shooting a 3 in the Nick's Starter Blues, a sacred practice garment reserved for those with big starter energy. It wasn't an official announcement, but it was all the proof we needed to confirm that IQ was indeed gonna start. I gotta give IQ his props. I was against IQ starting because I felt his offensive firepower was more valuable coming off the bench. But with a big national game on the line, Tibbs put his faith in our rookie to go toe-to-toe with Kyrie Irving. Now that's trust. The game itself was a different story. The Knicks pushed the Nets to the very brink, but questionable calls from the refs and poor execution down the stretch did them in. IQ was solid in the first quarter, scoring 7 points with 1 board and an assist. But the Knicks were down bad by the third quarter, and IQ felt the need to chuck up more shots in order to keep the game close. It didn't work. On a plus side, King Julius showed the league that his straight backs aren't just there for show. He ran up on notorious ref Scott Foster to have what I could only assume was a pleasant conversation about that last traveling call. It was your classic moment, but boy did the Nick faithful and I appreciate the sentiment. He embodied the rage we felt in that moment, and it's always cathartic to see players just as emotionally invested as we are. Back to IQ, he was much better statistically in his following start against Philly. Sadly, he hurt his ankle in the loss, and it would keep him out in the following game against Orlando. 
for five minutes. Could you not be injured for five minutes? After back-to-back -back heartbreaks, the Knicks would finally get a well-earned victory against Orlando. King Julius would share his wealth with his people, dishing out 17 assists in his third triple-double of the season. Alec Burks was named the starter and led the scoring effort for the Knicks with a 21-point double-double. Frank Nittalakina was given another opportunity to start, and he didn't screw it up. Instead, he scored 13 points to match his season high, and he kinda dunked on Nikola Vucevic. But this night was really about our boy, Reginald Bullock. He gets a lot of slander for his streaky shooting and his locks for some reason, but on that night, all Bullock slander was illegal. He came off the bench to hit six threes on the Magic, and he got three steals to go with his usually stifling defense. But it wasn't a perfect night by any means. In the final seconds of the fourth quarter, Bullock would get wrapped up in a double team after an inbound and forced into a jump ball situation. After losing the tip to Evan Fournier, Bullock would give the Magic another chance to score and win the game. While the Knicks faithful collectively lost their sh**, Bullock remained unfazed because he knew the Knicks defense can lock up anyone if they just needed one stop. Once the whistle blew, Bullock pulled up his shorts and prepared to fight through the Vucevic and Fournier two-man game that he seemed to knew was coming. Bullock mirrored Fournier's movements perfectly, and the moment Fournier left his feet to pass the Vooch, Bullock intercepted it perfectly to seal the win for the Knicks. And that will be all for What's New, York Knicks. I'll be taking a short break, but when I return, I'll be revisiting my picks for February's Who Will Ball and Who Will Fall. I'll be right back. This is MS T D Detroit. Welcome back to Showing Love with your host, Not Lamar95. It's been almost two months since I first predicted that Alfred Payton and Kevin Knox would suck all February. I watched them closely during those four weeks, and now it's finally time to decide how bad the fall was. I'll first start off with the much maligned starting point guard for the Knicks, Alfred Payton. My predictions for Payton's February were as followed. Payton will be benched for IQ by our 10th February game, so by around February 20th the latest. And Payton will average around 17 to 20 minutes a game for the month, leaving room for Frank Nittalakina to get playing time. Payton's stock was at an all-time low after his rough showing in January. Well, his stock is always low. Either way, Payton came alive in February and surpassed all of my takes. He would cling on to his starter role well past the Knicks' 10th game. He wouldn't lose his spot until he suffered a sore right hamstring that would keep him out from February 25th to March 4th. The shorthanded Knicks would give the starting role to the recently acquired Derrick Rose instead of Emmanuel Quickly, and Frank Nittalakina would get playing time as well. Nittalakina would parlay his solid play into rotational minutes and one of his few starts in March. I would be wrong on how many minutes Payton would get in February. In the month of February, Payton would average 27 and a half minutes a game. He would only dip below 20 minutes once in February, which makes sense. It was against the Bulls on February 1st, and it was easily one of his worst performances in February. Overall, Payton turned the corner in February. He fully embraced his downhill play style and greatly improved his finishing around the rim. If he didn't injure that hammy of his, 
I'm convinced he would have continued to be a productive starter. Unfortunately, the injury has allowed Knicks fans to get a taste of life without Peyton, and those same fans won't enjoy going back to the status quo when Peyton returns to the starting lineup. You may hate to hear this, but the Knicks need Peyton, if only for this season. We literally have no depth in our backcourt. We've seen more than enough Frank to know that he ain't better than Peyton. Rose, despite his talents, continues to prove that relying on him to play a full season of basketball is fool's gold. IQ? Well, I'll save IQ for the next segment. Full disclosure, I am very forgiving when it comes to Peyton. If that hasn't already been apparent from previous episodes or my Reddit post history, a lot of it is a response to how harshly he gets treated by Knicks fans in general. He gets hate for not being the point guard we want, and his good games get overlooked as an anomaly that at most gets a backhanded compliment or props for increasing his trade value. I get that New York takes no prisoners when it comes to players who suck or people we just don't like, but it feels weird ragging on a player that's on our team and contributing to dubs. Payton had great performances and wins against Chicago and Portland, improved his finishing around the rim compared to January, and was the Knicks' only steady point guard when Rose and IQ slumped at the same time from February 15th to the 21st. In short, go easy on Payton. He had a better February than expected, and he can definitely contribute to this team as the Knicks make a playoff push. Alright, enough about Peyton. Time to cry over Kevin Knox, and my predictions for Knox were as follows. Kevin Knox would get at least 5 DNP coaches decisions in February, and he'd only get 2 games where he plays more than 12 minutes. <sighs> Corner pocket Kev's February went as terrible as I expected, and that doesn't make me feel good at all. After Kev's last great game, his season-high shooting night against Charlotte back in January 11th, his minutes started a downward trend. His defense was lacking, and Tibbs would not hesitate to bench him for a missed rotation or a bad foul. Knox's confidence was shot at this point, making him a more passive shooter, which further tanked his value as an offensive threat. The final nails in the coffin would be IQ's three breakout games in the last week of January, and Alec Burks returning from his left ankle sprain on January 21st. Knox would get 9 DNPs in February, and he could have gotten 10 if the Knicks-Spurs game wasn't postponed due to COVID. And in the 5 games that he did play in February, he wouldn't even top 5 minutes in any of his appearances. Out of 672 potential minutes Knox could have played in February, he only seen the floor for 14 of them. Jesus f***ing Christ! He was essentially banished to the Shadow Realm. But there was a glimmer of hope for Corner Pocket Kev. On March 2nd, Knox would make an appearance against the Spurs in the final two minutes of the first quarter and hit his first three-point attempt of the night. Woohoo! San Antonio would then proceed to beat the brakes off the Knicks in the second half. So badly that Coach Tibbs would be forced to play Knox for 19 whole minutes. And you know Knox was excited. He just started firing up shots like he activated the infinite ammo cheat in San Andreas. Talking about that L1, R1, square, R1, left, R2, R1, left, square, down, L1, L1. Is there hope for Knox for the remainder of the season? Not really. Burks and Reggie Bullock got the three spot locked up tight, unless one of them gets injured. But Obi Toppin has been struggling these last couple of weeks, and fans have been calling for Kevin Knox to get his minutes. I don't know how I feel about that as of right now. Kevin Knox has become a much more efficient three-point shooter this year, 
shooting 39% from deep, and he's near automatic from the short corner. He's corner pocket Kev for a reason. The Knicks need all the shooters they can get, so I get why he seems like the solution. But remember, the sample size for his three-point shooting is pretty low. Knox would be backing up Randall, which means we would be seeing a lot of Knox at the four. His defense is already suspect, but now you want to see him guard out of position too? I don't know. Knox might not improve the team much playing over Obi. Next season will be Kevin Knox's last chance to prove his worth to the Knicks. There is a good chance that the Knicks lose either Burks or Bullock to free agency. So that will be Kevin's chance to crack Tibbs' rotation. Next year is also the last year of Knox's rookie contract, so hopefully he plays well enough to get a qualifying offer. If he doesn't, expect Knox to be used as a sweetener for a trade or simply swapped for a second rounder. That will do it for how bad the fall was, where being right feels horrible. After this beast switch up, I will talk about how well our rookies played in February and if they balled to my expectations. I'll be right back. Every, every, every once in a while, we like to play a piece of music. One, two, three, four. Welcome back to Showing Love with your host, not Lamar95. For my Who Will Ball predictions, I went all in on the team's marquee rookies, Obi Toppin and Emmanuel Quickly. After a month and some chains of adjusting to the league and their new roles on the team, I figured the Rooks would take advantage of a much easier February schedule and build up hype similar to LaMelo Ball or Tyrese Halliburton. Here were my predictions for Toppin. Obi will average between 7 and 9 points per game, get 5 to 6 rebounds per game, and just under 2 assists per game for February. Obi will also have 3 games where he plays more than 20 minutes. Obi Toppin would not leave much of an impact in February. Even with my low standards and the injury to Mitchell Robinson, Toppin would struggle to reach any of the benchmarks that I predicted for him. Toppin would average 4.6 points per game, only getting double digits once in a blowout game against Houston on February 13th. He'd average just under 12 minutes a game too. Coach Tibbs would give those missing Mitchell minutes to Todd Gibson, favoring the vet's consistency over throwing the rookie to the wolves. It was the right call. Obi's postgame hasn't looked very good. When he faces up, he defaults to powering through the defender, spinning out of control and chucking up an ugly turnaround hook shot or whatever the hell that looks like. On the perimeter, his shooting looks ugly and timid. His handles lack any confidence and he doesn't dribble with any purpose. I remember, he used to have this bad habit of dribbling along the baseline right underneath the rim just to pick the ball up and do nothing with it. The only reason why he doesn't do this anymore is because he's abandoned putting the ball on the floor altogether. I expect Obi to continue to play with such a short leash for the rest of the season. Too many of these games matter for him to be getting this many chances. So until he picks up his play, I'm retiring his jingle indefinitely. Hopefully he does something soon to earn it again. Now for my more lofty pick for who will ball, Emmanuel Quickly. Here were my predictions. IQ will win Rookie of the Month in February, and he's going to do it averaging 15 plus points per game while being top three in three-pointers made for rookies in February. And Emmanuel Jalen Quickly 
we'll have not one, not two, but three 30-point games this month. Guaranteed! <laughs> yeah, I jumped the gun extra hard on these predictions. <laughs> but it wasn't my fault, all right? I was down bad with IQ fever, and I know a couple of y'all were too. So, you know, I had, I had to show out. Uh, I'm not really surprised, though, that I'm going to have to, you know, pay for it in these recaps. LaMelo Ball was front-running the Rookie of the Year discussions all February, with a combination of flashy plays and overall offensive dominance. IQ simply wasn't getting the minutes or the starts needed to get his name into the discussion, outside of a passing mention. Another thing that mucked up IQ's February of dominance was the Derrick Rose trade. This move was huge for building up the Knicks' weak backcourt, but it would cut into IQ's minutes, reduce his ball handling responsibilities, and make him play more like a shooting guard than a point guard. In this role, he would average just under 12 points for the month, and not get a single 30-piece, much to my chagrin. The closest IQ would get to a 30-point game would, ironically, be on February 25th in a home game against the Kings. He was coming off a rough shooting slump from the previous three games leading up to that night. But after hitting a huge and one three over Corey Joseph to close out the first quarter, he'd pretty much live at the free throw line, going for a season high 12 for 12 and finishing the night with 25 points. All of IQ's stats except for three point attempts, three point percentage, and of course, free throw percentage would see a slight drop from January to February. Even with the uptick in three point shooting, IQ would finish fifth among rookies for threes made behind Sadiq Bey, Tyrese Halliburton, LaMelo Ball, and Anthony Edwards. IQ has done everything right so far in his rookie year, and he's pretty much beloved in all Knicks circles. But it is clear that there are some flaws in this game, and we will be watching how he develops and overcomes those flaws for the future. First things first, IQ needs to expand his layup package beyond his floater. Now don't get me wrong, it's still a legendary shot, but it's still got a long way to go before we can consider it automatic. Defenses are starting to sense when IQ is going to go for the float, and they're starting to counter it by blocking him from behind or simply forcing him into a tougher angle for the shot. Second, Quigley is a bit of a chucker. I think part of this stems from the fact that Tibbs limits his role to focusing primarily on scoring or shooting threes, and IQ rarely sees a three he doesn't like. He usually shares the floor with much more capable playmakers like Rose, Randall, and Barrett, so IQ would be given the green light to have tunnel vision and focus more on his shooting. Finally, IQ's defense still needs work. He's still a baby in a man's league, so stronger guards will be licking their chops to take him off the dribble. He also has a tendency to rack up fouls and bunches due to mental mistakes. A good sign for IQ is that he still plays defense with effort even when he's overmatched, and he can play the passing lanes pretty well. I think a summer in the weight room and more time to figure out defense at the professional level will make IQ a very serviceable defender in the future. And that will do it for my Who Will Ball and Who Will Fall recaps. I'm due for another beat switch up so it's time for another short break, but when I return, I will go over the Knicks February as a whole and predict what's left of the March schedule. I'll be right back. Welcome back to Showing Love with your host, Not Lamar 95 
It sucks that I fumbled the bag on most of my who will ball and who will fall predictions. But I ain't too mad though. My February win-loss predictions are looking pretty dope. I predicted that the Knicks would go 11-4 in February, and it would actually go 9-5-1. On February 20th, the Knicks-Spurs game was postponed due to San Antonio losing players to COVID protocol, so I'm counting it as a draw. Here's a rundown of how February won. I was correct about the Knicks splitting the two-game series against the Bulls and getting their much-deserved revenge against the Portland Trailblazers. I was wrong about the Knicks splitting the two-game series against Miami. Those were just physical grudge matches that came down to the wire, and the Heat's defense was just too much of a hurdle for the Knicks' offense to overcome. I was correct about the win streak. Well, to an extent. The Knicks would crush Washington and Houston, and Randall would go off in spectacular fashion while throttling the Hawks. The San Antonio game simply didn't exist, but I like to believe that the Knicks would have beaten the Spurs with the way they were playing at the time. I was wrong about the Knicks beating Orlando, the Golden State Warriors, and losing to Sacramento. Riding high off destroying Atlanta, Knicks fans figured Orlando would be another walk in the park. What we got instead was only Julius Randle, RJ Barrett, and Peyton showing up to play, another classic sub-40 shooting performance from the team overall, and of course, Terrence Ross and some dude named Bacon doing an amazing 2016 Splash Brothers impression. Speaking of Splash Brothers, Curry would put the Warriors on his back on the 23rd. The Warriors as a whole were boo-boo from three, but Curry pretty much told the Knicks and everyone in MSG that it doesn't matter, he'll do the shooting for them, and that'll be enough to steal a win. Also, gotta give props to Kelly Oubre Jr. and Draymond Green. They weren't as ineffective as I'd hope, and they made some clutch defensive plays down the stretch. The Warriors earned that win that night. It was a good match. At least I was wrong about the Knicks arbitrarily losing to the Knicks. <laughs> I guess the reverse jinx worked. Oh yeah. I said that the Knicks would beat the T-Wolves because they were a terrible and cursed franchise. My stance hasn't changed, but Carl Anthony Towns nearly willed a fourth quarter comeback that made my short podcasting life flash before my eyes. Remember kids, dumpster fires can still burn you if you get too close. Finally, I was wrong, but in a good way. I assumed we'd split a back-to-back -back against Indiana and Detroit because we'd never sweep our back-to-backs. In the game against Indiana, Randall was decent to start, but he made too many turnovers in the first quarter, and that allowed Doug McDermott to keep the game close for the Pacers in the first half. When all-star DeMontis Sabonis started to get more aggressive in the second half, Randall would rise to the challenge in the third, going 5 for 6 on the field off of a bunch of Derrick Rose assists. The percolating Pacer punisher RJ Barrett would deliver some timely daggers to the heart of Indy in the fourth quarter and Frankie Smokes would get a clutch steal to close the door on Indy for good. Detroit was an easy clap. Clearly I have a better talent for picking games than picking players. If you are a degenerate gambler listening to this podcast, I might be your guy for Knicks picks. Information presented is for educational purposes only. Moreover, no listener should assume that any discussions or information presented serves as the receipt of or substitute for personalized advice from ACA. I try to be a man of my word. So I'm gonna do predictions for the final four games of March. If you were expecting some more March predictions, too bad, March prediction machine broke. The All-Star break made March a short and weird month for basketball. And honestly, I'd rather put more effort in an April predictions episode instead. The Knicks will complete the season sweep of the Wizards by beating them at home. Washington doesn't really have an answer for Randall at this point and Scott Brooks still coaches the Wizards. My condolences to DC. The Bucks open palm slapped the Knicks in their last meeting, 
and even my irrational confidence in the Knicks can't formulate a scenario where we beat the team that's currently on the longest active win streak as of March 24th. The Bucks have 8 dubs in a row. I mean, the Bucks played the Knicks at the back end of a back-to-back. -back. Honestly, that's all I got. I'll take the L against the Bucks. Maybe if Mitch comes back, maybe that makes a difference next time the Knicks play the Bucks. The Miami Heat returned to MSG for a much-needed rematch against the Knicks. And just like the Blazers, the Knicks might have this game circled on their hypothetical calendars. They need to pay the Heat back for those back-to-back -back L's, and if the Knicks want that fourth seed in the East, they gotta go through the Heat to get it. The Heat have been struggling since March 17th, losing four in a row. Hopefully they keep sucking well after the Knicks beat them. To close out March, the Knicks play a road game against the Minnesota basketball franchise. The Wolves won three games since they last played the Knicks on February 21st. Anthony Edwards has vastly improved his game from his rough early start, and statistically, Cat has been returning to all-star form in March. The Wolves are officially too spooky to sleep on. Knicks will still win, but Cat, Edwards, and a third mystery Wolves player will make the game too interesting for our liking. I'll give a shout out to anyone who calls the third mystery player. But for now, that will do it for episode 4 of Showing Love, a New York Knicks podcast and personal audio diary. If you want to submit questions to the show, leave a review, or suggest topics for future episodes, email the show at showinglove95 at gmail.com. That is S-H-O-W-I-N-G-L-O-V-E 95 at gmail.com. If you like this series, add my show's RSS URL to wherever you get your podcast for future episodes right when they drop and share the show with other Nick fans or hoop lovers. If that doesn't work, consider bookmarking my podcast's website and just keep f 5 in the page at least once a week. An episode will pop up eventually. Whether you loved the show, hated it, or forgot you had it running in the background, thank you for taking the time to live here to the very end. I really appreciate it. See y'all in the comics section. Peace.